So this week, I wanted to go a little bit further. We're going to talk from a message entitled, Weathering the Winter. Weather the Winter. So if you take notes and you are type A and you like to keep things very succinct and orderly and neat, I'm giving you the title from the very beginning, Weather the Winter. And, um, and, I, and I, want to begin by, I want to begin by just a little bit of little participation, a little, little showing of hands, kind of engage here in church on this cold Sunday morning. Um, how many of you are are a younger sibling, you have an older sibling. Can I see your hands? Can I see your hand? you, you have an older sibling? Okay, great, great. How many, of you, how many of you also are an older sibling? Now, maybe some of you would still have your hands raised. You're, you're an older, so you're kind of in the middle somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's, that's the majority of you. you. You're either an older sibling or had an older sibling, right? And so I, I can relate without a doubt. I am one of six kids. I have no idea how my parents did it. I have two kids. I'm barely surviving. <laughs> I like tell my dad often, I'm like, you're a hero. I'm like, I don't know how you did it. But, but I'm one of six kids, and I'm the, I'm, the second, I'm the second oldest. So I've got one older sibling, and I've got several younger siblings. In fact, in fact, my youngest sister just moved here about a month ago to help with ethos. Um, yeah, we can give it up for Samantha. Uh, she's single, by the way. And, uh, and, but uh, but you, do have to, you do have to ask for permission, though, as well. But... Um, but uh, she's blushing right now. Yes, she is. Um, and so, so I, can, I can totally relate to kind of this, this dichotomy of sorts of being in the middle yet having younger and having older. And You know, what's interesting about older siblings is, is they're always trying to convince you of things that aren't true, right? Like, like I, I remember growing up, like I was always convincing, especially my sister, of things that just were like ludicrous. Like we, we think just, just for a moment, parents, we do this too. Like Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, like the Tooth Fairy, right? Like, like my daughter, we've told her Santa Claus isn't real, and yet she still has a hard time believing that he's not real. She's like, well, then who brings the presents? I'm like, well, we do. But who brings the presents that you guys don't bring? Like, nobody. <laughs> They're all from us, babe. Like, what, what presents were signed to Sophia from Santa Claus? None of them, okay? And, and, but when I was, when I was younger... Every single year, in fact, my family still does this, it's a, a tradition, every summer they go to this lake in central Pennsylvania and we camp out and we go boating. In fact, in fact, we've been doing this since I was four years old, so I think this year is going to be either like the, the 30th or the 31st year of, of doing this. And, and so it's, it's some of my immediate family as well as a bunch of my extended cousins. And, and I remember when I was younger, some of my older cousins as well as my older sister, they had convinced me and my younger cousins that, that there was a Loch Ness monster in the bottom of the lake. Now, I'm nine years old at this time, right? And, and when you're nine, like, even the mention of a Loch Ness monster is enough to pee your pants. Like, so, so, so I was not getting in that lake. And if that wasn't enough, they also convinced me that there was electric eels within this man-made freshwater lake as well. And, and, and so, so I refused. I would never get in past where I could see my feet, which in a lake is like, a foot, you know? Like, I, I just didn't want to get in there. And, and so for, for summer after summer, my dad could not convince me to ever try, like, any other water sports besides tubing. Because he'd set me on the tube. I'd never touch the water. I would have him promise that he wasn't going to go too fast to tip me off of the tube, right? And so finally, I'm nine years old. My dad says, son, you would love it. You just have to try it. I'm like, dad, I, I'm not getting in that water. All week long, he's trying to convince me to, to try water skiing to the point where he actually went out and he bought these little like Snoopy skis. 
They had like a rope on the front, a rope on the back to kind of avoid like the split thing when you're skiing, you know. And, and he gets these skis. And so, so finally I say, okay, Dad, I'm going to try this out. And so it's the last day. And we're, we're going to be leaving here in a few hours. And we go out and he puts the skis on me in the boat. And he, he proceeds to kind of, kind of gently place me over the edge of the boat. And just as soon as my feet, as soon as my skis hit the water, I start freaking out. Like I remember it like it was yesterday. I start flailing my arms. I'm like kicking my skis. I'm kicking the side of the boat. My dad still has a hold of me. He's like, son, relax, relax. And right at that point, he just tosses me out of the boat. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm just flailing. Like we're only about 100 yards from the beach. People are looking. They're like, is that kid okay? I'm like, save me. I'm locked. This monster's going to eat me, you know. Meanwhile, true story, one of my other older cousins was like, watch your toes, watch your toes. Because they convinced me that that's the first thing they go for is your toes. And so, so I'm like, oh, this is crazy. My dad, after a few minutes, finally calms me down. He's like, son, son, relax, relax. I'm like, okay, okay. I realized after about three minutes in the water, like, I'm still alive. I'm wiggling my toes. All is well. He throws me the ski rope. And so for about the next 30 minutes, though, I don't know if you ever tried water skiing before, like, I'm just kind of, I'm kind of up and then down. And then, like, up and then down. Like, I just kept doing this until eventually I got the hang of it. Eventually, eventually I kind of figured it out. And, and, and it felt like 20 minutes, but it was really only about 20 seconds. And I'm, I'm skiing on the water, and I got this big smile on my face. Like, I'm just so excited. My dad said, he's like, I've never seen you so happy before. And it was in that moment that, like, I, I, I fell in love with water sports. Like, I... I loved it. So every summer thereafter, I could not wait to go to the lake and water ski, wakeboard, go tubing. It was so much fun. But it, it's, it's funny, though, how the thing that terrified me the most ended up becoming, even at this point in my life, the thing that, the thing that, I, that I enjoy the most. I'm talking about weathering the winter, and I, I want to describe winter and that, that particular season of our lives as any difficult or challenging season. Any season that we're in, and we're like, this isn't as good as the season I just came from. It's, it's, it's the seasons of our lives that we'd rather skip right past. And it's probably not fair for me to describe my 30 minutes of terror as a season, right? Like, that's, the, that's hardly anything but a season. But, but, but you get the point. It's funny, though, too, how, how oftentimes it's the most difficult seasons of our lives that when we're in, we don't want to be in them. But when we get out of them, it's the season that we brag about the most. You ever notice this? Like, come on, if you're a parent, you know. You know, like, it's the old story. Man, when I was in school, I had to walk two miles both ways, uphill in two feet of snow, right? Which is funny, because even if that were true, I bet when you had to walk both ways two miles in two feet of snow, uphill, you probably weren't bragging about it then, were you? Because when we're in the season, it, it's... It's anything but enjoyable. We want, to get, we want to get past it as fast as we can. But, but as followers of Jesus, and if, if you're in here today and, and man, you, you'd say, man, I, don't, I don't really consider myself to be a Christian. I'm not really, not really a follower of Jesus. Man, we're so, we're so glad that you're here. Honest to God, we really are a family that just welcomes anybody into, into our family. And, and but I, I don't know if you didn't come on the perfect morning. Because I think some of what we're talking about helps to understand even where God is in some of the more challenging seasons of all of our lives. We, we, we got to know as followers of Jesus 
that, that we're going to go through seasons that we'd rather skip. We, we got to understand that there's some, there's some cheese we didn't choose. We don't always choose the season, but, but we can always choose our response. Now, it's imperative that we, that, we, that we also mention, especially kind of at the top of this talk, that, that some seasons aren't by God's design. Like, he didn't want that season to come into your life. Like, so sometimes we blame things on God that wasn't God at all. Sometimes we blame health issues on God and it wasn't God at all. Sometimes we, 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 we blame being fired from a job on God and it wasn't God at, at all. Some, 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 seasons, some seasons are just our own decisions, right? Like sometimes there's a relational decision or mistake that we make and then we're paying the consequences of that. Or maybe we got ourselves into a lot of debt and then we're paying the consequences of that. But, but here, here's the truth. Whether it was God's design or whether it was our own stupidity or whether it was just the nature of the world in which we live, we always still choose our response, and it's our response that allows God to use the season, every season of our life, it, it's our response that allows God to do something beautiful in that season, to set you up for something great on the other side of that season. Now listen to what, listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 16. I think too often we assume that we get into a season, it's a difficult season, that, that this is a surprise to God. Like God doesn't know what to do right now. Look, look what Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 33. We'll throw this up here. He says, he said, look guys, I've told you a lot of stuff. I've told you all of this stuff so that in me you can have peace. In this world you're going to have trouble. Now pause there for just a moment because they kind of feel like, like they're contradicting here. Like, hey, I've told you all this stuff so you can have peace. Oh, you're going to have trouble too. I think what Jesus is really trying to say is, you're going to have trouble, but you can also have peace. And the truth is, is we're all looking for peace. We think if we get a new job, then we'll have peace. We think if we, if we have that relationship, then we'll have peace. We think if our husband says this, then we'll have peace. We think if our wife, if our kids, if our parents, then we'll have, if I get accepted to that school, then I'll have peace. We're all... Most of the decisions that we make in life are a result of us pursuing peace. And yet none of those things are actually, are actually going to bring about consistent peace in our life. Jesus says, I told you all this stuff so you can have peace because in this world you're going to have some trouble. And then look how Eugene Peterson writes it in the message translation. You know, the, the, the original New Testament, newer portion of our Bibles was written in Greek. There's several different English translations, and, and they all do a pretty good job of helping us better identify in our modern vernacular how to, how to understand the scriptures. But I love how Eugene Peterson, the author of the message, how he writes it. He says that Jesus spoke, the Father is with me. I've told you all of this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace in this godless world. You will continue to experience difficulties. One translation says trouble. Other translation says, says difficulties. We, we usually try to avoid trouble and difficulties, don't we? Like, am I the only one? Like, don't, don't make me preach this by myself today, okay? Like, like, am I the only one who tries to steer clear of challenging situations, of troubling circumstances? Like, usually we try to steer clear of that. And yet, and yet that's the thing that Jesus, he promised we're going to experience. Like, we, we usually don't even like scriptures like this. We're like, Oh, yeah, no. I like the part where it says, hey, in this world you're going to have peace. Just stop there. Peace. What about the next sentence? Oh, you're going to have trouble, 
you're going to have difficulty too. So, so don't, be, don't be too surprised. I think one of the reasons why we try to avoid difficult situations and seasons of our lives is because we confuse pain with being outside of the will of God. We confuse challenging seasons with the dismissal of God's blessing. So sometimes, sometimes, sometimes if there's just an extended period or lapse of time, like we have an expectation for something and it's taking a lot longer than we want it to take, we assume then we must be outside the will of God. Or, or, or even furthermore, we, we fail and we identify us failing and we take on the shame of that, of that, that mistake and, and we begin to identify as a failure. And then, and then as a result, we begin to kind of walk away further from God and go further into this winter season. Even furthermore, sometimes our perspective of God is, is off tilt because we allow our circumstances to influence our perspective of God rather than our perspective of God to influence how we approach our circumstances. But no matter where we find ourselves in this spectrum, we don't like pain. We don't like difficulties. We don't like trouble. Like, like we, we don't like it. We, we run from it. We avoid it at all costs. But what if the pain that we experience is actually intended to draw us closer to the will of God for our lives, not, not cause us to run further from the will of God for our lives? Isn't our God big enough? Isn't he great enough? I think we got to get under, we got to understand this ethos. We got to understand this. Our God is so big. He's so great. He loves you so much that, that, that he'll actually use the challenging seasons of our lives for his glory. Our God is so big and so good that the stuff that we don't understand, he's, he's not up there sitting on his throne and then all of a sudden it's a difficult season and we don't understand it and we're questioning him and we're doubting him. Or walk, and he's like, whoa, what are they doing? My gosh, Jesus, help them out. I'm confused. No, like he's, he's okay. He's like, no, no, guys, 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 you don't understand it. And that's okay. I do, and I can actually use it to further you in the dream and the call that I put on your life. God wants to use that which is confusing to us to make sense of where he's actually taking us. What if, what if, what if we aren't actually meant to weather the season? But the but the season was meant to weather us. What if we aren't meant to weather the winter? But the winter was meant to weather us. A few years ago, I was in Canada uh, talking at, at one of my friend's churches, kind of on the suburb of, of Toronto. And, and we go out to lunch afterwards, and I just happened to notice his boots. And I said, I said hey, Matt, I love, your, I love your boots. Where'd you get them? He said, oh, they're from a store here in, in Canada. It's about an, about an hour away. And, and I said, man, I, I, I want those boots. I said, is it, will I be able to kind of make my trip home if we go? And he said, I don't think we'll have time, but I'll send them to you. I'll, go buy, I'll buy them for you. I'll send them to you. I said, no, you don't have to do that. He said, no, no, I want to. I, I'm, I'm not a dummy. I'm not going to turn down free boots twice, you know. So I'm like, cool, send them to me. Here's my address, you know. And, and, and it's funny because when they arrived in the mail, I texted him. I shot him a picture. And I said, hey, man, I think they sent me the wrong boots. He said, no, those are it. In fact, I'm wearing them right now. He said, no, those, those are it. And, and I, said, I said, well, they look different than yours. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, because they're brand new. I said, well, I like the way that yours looked. And I said, how do I get them to look like yours? 
And he said, well, he said, walk through some puddles, rub some mud on them, then wash them off. And he said, he said these words. He said, take them through several winters, let the weather make them great. I thought in that moment, let the weather make them great. That, that kind of feels a bit like an oxymoron. But maybe that's, maybe that's what God intends for the winter seasons of all of our lives. Because the comfortable seasons of our lives rarely ever prepare us for the growth that's needed to accomplish the dream that God has given you. We, we, we'd rather be in a comfortable season, but it's actually, the, it's actually the winter seasons that God's saying, there's something I want to shape within you. There's a humility I want to create within you. There's, there's a perspective I want to, I want to change within you. There's, there's an empathy I want to grow within you. There's something about the challenging seasons of our lives. Now, now, now look at what Jesus says again in John chapter 16, verse 33. So he tells us that he said all of these things so that we could have peace. And, and I'm going to teach you something here just real quickly. And, and I think it's really going to help you. He said, I told you all these things so you could have peace because in this world you're going to have trouble. He says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Now, now time out for just a second. The context in which Jesus is saying this is literally hours before he's about to die a, a painful, excruciatingly, even shameful death on a, on a Roman crucifixion. Or cruci he's going to be crucified on a cross. The, the Roman crucifixion was one of the most dreadful, painful, and shameful ways to die in first century Roman province. And he's, Jesus knows that's coming. He knows it's coming. And he's, he's literally hours away from experiencing that pain, from going through that winter season. You, you, you follow me? And yet he says to his closest friends, his, his disciples, the, the guys who committed their lives to following after him, he says to them, he says, guys, he says, take heart. I've overcome the world. Now these guys didn't fully understand why Jesus was saying that. They didn't fully understand what Jesus was about to experience, but Jesus knew. What gave Jesus the audacity, maybe even more so, the confidence to say that he's overcome the world. Jesus, you haven't even experienced the worst of what you're going to experience while you're walking in the flesh of a man in this world. And yet I think there's three things that Jesus knew, three things that he wants to teach us on how to, how to, how to weather the winter and how to allow the winter to, to weather us. First and foremost, I think Jesus, Jesus knew that the Father is in control. He's in control. We got to know in the winter seasons of our lives that God is still in control. Sometimes we assume in the winter seasons of our lives that God has lost control. And no, no, God is the gardener. We, we are the garden. And God understands the gardening process. I pray, in fact, I've been praying all week that we would be the kind of people, that we would be the kind of Christians who show up in the winter, who say, no, no, I'm not going to shy away from the cold seasons. I'm going to show up in the winter seasons because I know that God is going to do something even in this season of my life, even more so than he has in any other season of my life, that we would be those people who know that God is still in control. Sometimes we got to just sit back and rest like we did just a moment ago when we were singing songs and, and worshiping our God and just remember that God is big, and that we are man, that God is God, and we are just human beings, and that he is still 
in control. Even when things didn't go the way you wanted them to go, God is still in control. Jesus knew as he's about to go to that cross, God's still in control. The second thing that I think he knew was that the Father always loves his children. He always loves his children. Don't confuse the winter seasons of our lives as a dismissal of God's love from our lives. A couple weeks ago, I was taking my daughter to tennis practice, and it's a Friday night, and, and she was kind of tired from the week, and, and she, wasn't, she wasn't doing real well. She kept, kept missing the ball, and near the end of practice, I could tell she was getting really frustrated because she wasn't, she wasn't improving, and, and she gets kind of embarrassed then when people are watching her, and, and she doesn't like that, and I knew that. And she does such a good job of, of kind of just being strong in the moment, but I knew that she was, she was struggling in this moment. I could tell, and so I'm, I'm up on the... I'm up on the, the the second floor, and I'm leaning over the balcony, and I'm just watching her. I'm watching how she's going to respond, watching what she's going to do. And, and, and it's her turn again. I'm going to see how, how she does. And she misses one. She misses two. She misses three. And after the third hit, she, she looked up at me. We made eye contact for just a moment before they tossed that next ball to her. And for just a moment, we made eye contact. And we have this thing. She and I have this thing where we, we, we wink. I wink at her. And then, and then she winks back. And there's no words spoken. We don't, we don't say anything in that moment. I just, I just wink. And so I'm up on the second floor, and I couldn't tell if she could see me or not because we're about 50 yards away. And, and I, I gave her a really strong wink, like, you know. <laughs> and, and she could see me. And we, in that moment, we had eye contact, and she looked back, and she goes like this. She goes, and gets right back in, in ready position. She gets right back in ready position. And that next ball comes, boom, she hits it. Because there's something about knowing that you have the full-fledged love and confidence of your dad, of your heavenly father, that kind of puts you back in the game. Okay, Winter, bring it on. you got to know that the father's love never changes. And it never leaves you. And so as Jesus is on his way to that cross, there's this confidence within him that God still loves me. That he's still for me. That my best days are still yet to come. The third thing that Jesus knew that he wants to teach us is that the Father is empowering you to fulfill your calling. In the winter seasons of your lives, God, I, I really believe that he's empowering you even more so in those seasons. That there's something he's doing even more so in the winter seasons than he does in the spring, the summer, or the fall seasons of our lives. Look at what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, and let us run with endurance, the race that God has set before us. First thing we got to notice is that word endurance. The, the author says we got to run this race that God has set before us. It's not your race. It's not my race. It's not your dream. It's not my dream. You might feel like it's your dream, but that's a God-breathed dream that he put inside of you. How do I know if it's a God-breathed dream, Jordan? Does it help people? Does it serve your family? Does it love people? Are you, are, you living it, are you living it with a selfless attitude? God can use any dream to bring glory to him. I'm telling you, there's some, God is saying, you've got to run this race within, with endurance. And furthermore, he goes on and says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy that was awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarded its shame, and now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Now, now first and foremost, Colton's going to help me sound a whole lot more spiritual here in just a second. 
He's going to close me out on keys. Give it to us, Colton. And just like that, you're like, wow. The presence of God just came into this place. Colton was actually a student in our student ministry way back in the day. And, I mean, this is, this is years ago now. And, and I used to always tell him, I said, man, I just wish I could put you in my pocket and carry you around wherever I go. And when I go through a difficult season, I just kind of pull you out. Play me some keys, Colton. I'm going to keep moving forward, you know. <laughs> but I looked up this word endurance this week. And I wanted to see what Webster had to say about this. And, and, the, and the, the definition is this. It's the fact or power of enduring an unpleasant or difficult process or situation without giving way. We need some endurance in our lives, church. I think far too often we experience difficult seasons and we give up and we shrink back. And the author of Hebrews is saying, no, 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 all, all you really need is some endurance to keep moving forward towards the race that God has set before us. So how do, how do we build this endurance for the winter seasons of our lives? He goes on, he says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. We've got to keep our eyes. What does it look like to keep our eyes on Jesus? Quite frankly, one of the ways that we keep our eyes on Jesus is by, by being in good, healthy relationships. By being in a small group. Like we just launched small groups and I was super pumped because this past week we saw 107 people uh, engage in small groups just in, the last, in this last week. I thought that's, that's amazing. And, 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 but to me, it's not just about, it's not the number of people who are engaged in a small group. It's the fact that now we've got people who are locking arms with each other. Because the truth is, is you need people who are going through spring, summer, and fall while you're going through the winter seasons to lock arms with you. What you don't need is a bunch of winter season folks locking arms with you. You know what I mean? And so we need, we need, we need a group of people who are saying, man, two are better than one. A cord of three strands would not be quickly broken. That's why groups are so powerful. The truth is that we need church. We need to gather together on a Sunday morning. We need to sing songs. And we need to, we need to come and be refreshed and encouraged by the relationships and the conversation and the word and the presence of God. We need these things. Too often it's in the summer seasons of our lives that we abandon those things, that we run back to them in the winter seasons of our lives. And, so, and then we run back in the winter and we don't know anybody. And we're going through a difficult season, and, and, and we feel like nobody cares. No, no, everybody cares, but nobody really knows because you kind of fell away for a season. And, and, and hear me out, maybe you can fall away for as long as you want. You're always welcome to come back. I'm just telling you that sometimes it's not the other person's fault. Sometimes we've got to look on the inside and say, I, got, I can't keep running anymore. I've got, got to look to Jesus, keep my eyes fixed and focused on Him. One of the ways we look to Jesus is by by listening to some good worship music. Get yourself a good Hillsong album. Get yourself a good Elevation Church album. Get yourself a good Jesus Culture and Bethel album. I mean, there's so much great worship out there. Passion, like there's so much great, so many great songs. Get, and, and listen to some songs. I mean, it kind of just changes your perspective. Just kind of shifts some things around. Man, get open, download the YouVersion Bible app. I'm just getting real practical here for you. How do you keep your eye? Download the YouVersion Bible. Go to your app store. Download the, the Bible app. And there's a scripture a day. You're like, I don't, I don't like to read. I, I've never really read the Bible. It doesn't make much sense to me. There's a, there's a scripture of the day on the front as you open the Bible app. Just read that scripture and just let the Holy Spirit speak to you. One scripture, Jordan. One scripture. That doesn't sound like that would work. It works. I'm telling you it works. 
God, keep our eyes on Jesus. Jesus was able to look beyond the pain. And he saw the pleasure that was to come as a result of the pain. He looked to the other side and knew that if I just get through this, get through this valley, get through this pain, there's something great on the other side. I used to have this, this coach, this football coach in high school, and, and anytime that we'd go to the gym, we'd be working out, he'd always, he'd always be yelling this, just, just as soon as we're about to, we're, we're like, oh, just one more rep, one more, and we'd want to give up. We'd be like, oh, that's the last rep, we're done. And he, he'd, go, he'd go, look past the pain, see past the pain. I could hear him yelling, Coach Heiser would say, he'd, he'd go, smucker, see past the pain. Like, see past the pain, you know. Knock one more out. Sometimes we got to see past the pain because on the other side of the pain is greater strength for future victories. Weston, come up here real quick. Come up here. I want to I I illustrate this. We're closing out right here, right here. Get, can, can you give me five push-ups? Give me five push-ups. Get down. Uh, one hand or two hands. Wow. Wow. No hands. Try that. All right. Give me five push-ups. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, stand up, stand up. Not too hard? No, not hard at all? Okay, see, see, I could tell Weston, now go sit down. No, no, don't, don't though. I was saying I could, it's like a hypothetical. And, 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 and I could say, go sit down. And then tomorrow morning, Weston would wake up and he would be no stronger tomorrow than he was today. That yeah, wasn't difficult. It, there was no pain there. And get down again, down again. Okay, give me five more. Good, good, one. Nice, you guys see past the pain, bro. Weston, see past the pain! You know? Okay, good job, now rest, now rest. How was that, a little bit harder? Okay, now get back down, get back down. Come on, do it again, do it again, come on. Not bad, good work, good work. Oh yeah, good, good, man. Three, come on, four, five. Okay, now get back up, good. A little bit harder? Okay, now get back down, good job. Good job. Okay, go again. Five more. One, two, three, four. One more. Five. Good work. Good work. Good work. See, see, tomorrow, Wesley's going to be a little sore. He's going to experience a little bit of pain. But, but here's the beauty. Thanks, bro. Here's the beauty. Had he never experienced that pain, he'd wake up tomorrow the same as he was today. But because he's able to go through that winter season, there's a strength that begins to build up on the inside of Weston. I'm telling you, man, God designed our bodies to grow stronger. He, he, he designed our spirits to do the same. It, it, says, it says, throw up Hebrews chapter 12 one more time for me, DJ. It says that we got to look to Jesus. We keep our eyes on Jesus. He's the champion. He's the champion. He's the champion. I'm reading this this week, and I got this image. You know, my, my, one of my favorite movies of all time. I got this image. Come on. I got this image of Sylvester Stallone in Rocky. He's at the top of the monument steps, and he's, he's just there. He's like, yeah, you know. He's like, yo, Adrian. Right, like he's like there, and his fists are closed. He's the champion because this is the sign of a champion. You see the guys win the Super Bowl. What they do, they put their fists in the air after a fight. What do they do? They raise their hand up and declare who the, who the champion was. And they're always like this, right? And I got this image and I thought, we got to keep our eyes on Jesus because Jesus is the champion. You're not the champion. 
I'm not the champion. I can't, I can't run this race with endurance on my own. I got to look to the one who initiates and perfects our faith, who's the champion. So what's my posture? My posture isn't that of a champion. My posture is that of surrender. I open up my fist. I surrender to Jesus. In every season of my life, I say, Jesus, I don't understand why this is happening. Jesus, I can't make no sense of this. But I still choose to be surrendered. Too often we close our fists when things get tough. We try to break through on our own. Meanwhile, Jesus is saying, no, look to me. I've already overcome the world. I'll give you the endurance that you're looking for. You're not the champion. I am. Just surrender to me. David says it like this. I'm closing out right here. David says it like this in Psalm chapter 23, verses 1 through 6. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. That's a spring, summer season right there. He renews my strength. He guides along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. Even when I walk through a winter season, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. The promise is not that we'll never go in a valley. The promise is that Jesus will walk us through the valley. We're not promised that everything will always be perfect. So let us not be surprised when we say yes to Jesus and there's a target on our back and things kind of get hard in that season. Let us not be surprised, but let us also not be surprised when we stay in a posture of submission and surrender and Jesus gives us the strength and the grace and the ability to keep marching forward. As we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear any evil because Jesus is with us. And on the other side, we're going to know him as our shepherd, as our leader and our guide, like we never knew him before.